sweet ones, it's Elizabeth. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to make sure that you know about three changes that I have made regarding my two signature courses, Marriage Methods and Heartbreak to Hope. Change number one, they are both pay what you can. That's right. I don't want money to get in the way of you and your healing so you can pay what you're able to pay. Change number two, you now can choose between receiving the content weekly for three months, which that's how it's been up to this point, or the entire content all in one guidebook PDF delivered at the time of purchase. And change number three, if you have someone in your life who's in a hard marriage, you're going through a separation or divorce, you now can gift them one of these courses. So you can check out the links in the show notes for how to register for all the details. And I just want to do what I can to walk beside you or someone you love during these really difficult situations in their lives and bring them to a place of deeper hope and healing in God. Sweet ones, welcome back to the All That to Say podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Klein. On this podcast, we talk about the hard stuff. A, because I've been through a lot of it. B, because most of you have too. And C, because I believe that we have a loving God who wants wholeness and holiness for us and our relationships, and that sometimes life is not as black and white as we wish it were. When a Christian marriage unravels and divorce is considered, many questions rise to the surface, and in this episode, I attempt to provide answers from the inside of my unraveling. I will be sharing thoughts that I wrote in a 2011 article for Crosswalk.com, though some of my thoughts and opinions have more than likely changed since I first wrote this over a decade ago. I'm going to try not to change anything as I go through it. So I will be sort of just reading this as if it's 10 plus years ago, meaning I'm not changing tense or the ages of me and my children or details like that. I make no promises. (laughs) Okay. But again, I wrote this in 2011. Let's go. A lot can happen in 20 years between a man and a woman. My situation left many scratching their heads and from what I can tell, a few tongues wagging as well. And I don't blame them because I love Jesus with my whole heart and I am allowing my marriage to end. And I am here to say that both can coincide within the same person. I've held my marriage problems so close to the chest for so long, too long perhaps, except for my inner circle and the random counselor. But I'm now at a place of stripping off the layers for more of the world to see and I feel ready to answer questions that have been asked of me, and I'm willing to do so in a public forum. Oswald Chambers said, there is no such thing as a private life or a place to hide in this world for a man or woman who is intimately aware of and shares in the sufferings of Christ. God divides the private life of his saints and makes it a highway for the world on one hand and for himself on the other. So since my life is apparently not my own as a follower of Christ, I am finding that the entire point of my struggles is to share with others how I made it through with the help of Jesus. So I was asked 
over the course of my marriage unraveling, separation and divorce, three questions over and over. Question number one, why did I stay in my heart of marriage so long? Because this person didn't understand why God wouldn't want me to be quote unquote happy and why I didn't just do what was quote unquote right for me a long time ago. Another asked how I stayed in my hard marriage for so long because she's in one too and sometimes feels like she can barely make it another day, let alone the rest of her lifetime. And another one that I've heard over and over is why didn't I stay in my marriage forever no matter what? Because many believe there are select few biblical reasons for divorce and many thought my circumstances didn't fit the profile. So I will share some initial thoughts and answer the first of these three questions, why I stayed in this episode, and I will answer the how I stayed and why I didn't stay forever questions in next week's episode. So I have a feeling that there aren't just a few women who might like to ask these questions of any woman who calls herself a Christ follower and is at the same time ending her marriage. I know I would. For every quote unquote, Christian couple that I saw divorce in the 15 years before my divorce, I would have given anything to corner the wife for an hour and hear her story. How did they get from point A to point B? Does she feel she's doing the right thing? Can she look God in the eye? All of that and more. These are fair questions and they deserve thoughtful, authentic, in-depth answers And in this two-part series, I will put forth my most honest attempts at answering them for myself. Please keep in mind before I begin that I can only speak for myself and not anyone else. And though I love God and treasure scripture as my personal truth source, I'm not claiming that what I'm about to say is God's holy word for everyone's situation. Only God can deem that for you, and my hope is that he does. Also, before I jump in, I'm going to give some background on my marriage so you can see where I'm coming from. Side note, tangent, again, I'm writing this in 2011. My then husband and I were followers of Christ and have been since we were teenagers. Our courtship was rocky, filled with a lot of arguments, tears, and long-distance phone calls. I had no less than a half dozen dear friends suggest gently that he and I weren't good together, but I was scared and needy and stubborn. I loved my husband, but love was not the reason I married him. I married him because I was afraid that God would not provide me with the life that I longed for, a husband, home, and children, if I didn't marry the man in front of me at that time. I didn't think anyone else would ever love me. I was also under the impression growing up as a child of divorce that two other truths were foundational. One, arguing is part of any relationship and lots of it. And two, it is normal to have to beg for the affection of a man. And our relationship fit that bill. So I moved forward into marriage, even after giving myself the once over in the mirror, wedding gown and all, and telling myself I could still walk away but I stubbornly walked that aisle in 1993 in front of family and friends and told God and my then husband that no matter what, I would stay married to him for the rest of our lives. 
Unfortunately, I had absolutely no idea what would fall under the heading of no matter what. We had one good year, maybe. I was happy. I felt secure. Our fighting had practically evaporated. I even remember telling people that the problem must have been the distance because now that we were married, we almost never argued. But that couldn't last forever, and it didn't. Our honeymoon phase lasted about nine months. Then arguing ensued, and I was a yeller. I would go into rages that would leave me lying on our bed until I would sob myself to sleep. I felt controlled. I felt trapped. I say this only to illustrate the depth of my pain, not to garner pity, but I began praying that God would kill me because I knew I could never leave my marriage. I knew I could not get a divorce. In my mind, it wasn't that I was choosing not to. I literally felt it was not an option of mine. I prayed for my death daily. Around the five-year mark, I began meeting with two women from church to go through a book on marriage. It was during this time with them that I shared not only the depth of my marriage pain and the frequency of our arguments, but the knowledge that alcohol was becoming the third party in our relationship. I thought they would be able to help me. I thought this was my answer. But as it turns out, people, through no fault of their own, do not always know how to handle this kind of thing. So I was given, repeatedly, a list of things to do to be a better wife. Pray more, serve more, have sex more, cook more, praise more, respect more, keep my mouth shut more, stop controlling, stop nagging. I felt patted on the head and sent back into the room after being told to try harder and keep taking it on the chin, whatever was being dished out, because I probably deserved it. Maybe if I did all these things, I'd become the kind of wife he wanted and needed and the drinking would stop. That was my hope. Be the good wife and he'll choose me eventually. And if he doesn't, it's because I'm not a good enough wife. I felt that deep down to my core for years and years. More years passed of the same. Our two children grew. We were in and out of counseling, nine counselors all together. We were in and out of couples groups. I read practically every book on marriage ever written. I tried to do all the things I was told to do, but the arguing continued. The drinking would stop and start. The lies would sustain me for a while. I would cry myself to sleep more nights than I can remember, and I died a little more each day. This cannot possibly be what God had in mind for a Christian marriage. I would write in my journal time and time again. I filled in the gaping holes of my emotional life by pouring myself into raising my children, writing books, starting a speaking ministry, and beginning the women's ministry at my church, which I would go on to lead for 10 years, feeling like a hypocrite the entire time. My life was full. I looked the part of the fulfilled, in other words, busy, Christian woman, wife, mother, and servant, except for my dirty little secret that my marriage was disintegrating. I was desperately sad and lonely almost all the time and nothing I did to fix it was working. Add to that, I felt trapped by my faith. I would beg God, beg him to help me and heal us and to change me and it would feel like he wasn't. And yet in my heart, I felt that to walk away from my marriage would be to disobey him 
to fail him to be in sin. A fairly standard belief in Christian circles is that there are only two biblical reasons for divorce. If your spouse is unfaithful, and if your spouse is not a believer and he literally abandons you. My situation did not fit those two criteria. I was stuck. Divorce was not an option. So I resigned myself to make the best of the next 50 years. I'm not kidding. I would stay married for the rest of my life, and I would simply try to fill up my life the best I could and serve others and change the world and raise my kids and write some books, and having a good marriage is probably overrated anyway. In January of 2010, I took the bull by the horns, finally tired of my own pity party, and visited a new counselor with the express purpose of working on my anger. I don't want my children to look back and think of me as an angry woman, I told her. I explained my life circumstances, told her they wouldn't be changing, told her I would not be leaving my marriage, so I needed her to teach me to not be angry all the time. But that next month, something changed in me through two pivotal conversations. The first was with that counselor who introduced me to the power and control wheel, and I quickly discovered that our relationship had been largely tainted by many forms of abuse. This was brand new information for me. I felt like a fool, and yet I felt free all at the same time, watching all of these pieces fall together in a way that finally made sense to me. The second conversation was made up of one sentence that sealed my heart's door firmly shut, even if I didn't notice the depth of its impact at the time. I had felt it was time to tell our preteen children about their father's drinking. One, I felt they needed to know it was genetic and they should stay away from alcohol. And two, they were at the age that Alateen would be available to them if they wanted to try it. And three, they needed the tools to know they could choose not to get into a car with their father if he'd been drinking. When I told their father it was time, he said that if I told the kids about his drinking, going against his wishes, he threatened me in a way that I'd never been threatened by him before. Though he was not threatening me physically, he broke me that day. He broke us. Now, if I have given the impression with all of this for even one moment that my then husband was 100% at fault for the brokenness we endured, I apologize. I was a broken little girl who more than likely had no business getting married in the first place, and I hurt him in myriad ways every day of our marriage. I was not empathetic. I was not a support. I did not call out his dreams. I sat on the sidelines and cried and whined and criticized more than I want to admit. Our marriage broke because we were both broken, bottom line. Okay, so the first question that I'm going to answer, as a Christian, why did you stay so long? Why did I stay so long? Someone asked me. The short answer, God. The long answer, many, many reasons. I want to reiterate that though I love God and treasure scripture, I am not claiming that what I'm about to say is God's holy word for everyone's situation. If your marriage is experiencing a hard season, please find much wise counsel to walk you through. 
Okay, so why did I stay? Number one, when I was a little girl, my parents divorced. I could probably start stop writing right there. I was bound and determined to not repeat the cycle of divorce in my family, even if it killed me. I stayed because my childhood promise to myself was to remain married to one man for my entire life, no questions asked, no matter what. Two, I don't believe life is all about being happy. I believe life is about enjoying God and living a life that reflects Christ. I believe there is a deep joy that holds me up, but I do not believe that God guarantees a life of happiness or a happy marriage. And I certainly don't believe we quote unquote deserve it. If someone bases their marriage on their happiness level, I would suspect that no marriage could stay standing for the long haul. I stayed because I believe life isn't merely about happiness. It's about holiness and it's about God. Number three, I stayed so long because I thought God would answer my prayers. I prayed a lot. I prayed for God to change my spouse. I prayed for God to change me. I prayed for God to rearrange my expectations. I prayed for God to make me more selfless. And I hoped that God would answer my prayers and heal us. Now, the natural conclusion would be to look at our circumstances, see an unhealed marriage, and therefore determine that God did not answer my pleas for help. But this is where you must take a longer, broader view and realize that God's ways are higher than our ways. Oh, he heard me. He rescued me. He sustained me. But he allows free will. I stayed because I was waiting on God to to perform a certain kind of miracle. But as it turns out, he was performing a different kind instead. Number four, I was in a church. Community holds you together and holds you in place and keeps you from doing all sorts of things you might otherwise do if left to your own devices. My then spouse and I began attending our then church two weeks after we got married and we never looked anywhere else. We grew up there, basically. We had our children there, served there, I worked there. We were known there. And when you let roots grow deep and people see inside your life and heart and you know you're going to see those same people, another one or two times that week, it's really difficult to slide into a sin or completely walk away from what you know to be true without a bunch of people taking you to task. I knew that if I up and walked away from my marriage, I'd have many people up in my face because they loved me. And if I stayed away, I'd probably lose my support system. I stayed married for that long because my church body took care of its own, and tried to protect each other from hurting ourselves. Number five, I have two children. I stayed because I believe to my core that it's my job to show my kids how to live as adults. I have failed miserably in this respect, but I wanted them to see that what I said I believed that marriage is for a lifetime matched what I actually lived out by actually staying married for a lifetime. Children of divorce have a higher marriage failure potential. I didn't want to do that to my children, set them up for failure before they even married. I stayed because I didn't want my children to be raised in a broken home. Reason number six, I didn't think things were that bad. Don't get me wrong. I thought my marriage was bad. 
I knew deep down that there was no way God wanted this kind of marriage for my spouse, for me, or for my children. And yet I didn't think it was that bad. I liken it to the frog in a pot of water that has no idea it's slowly being boiled to death because the temperature is going up in such small increments. I would journal things on a regular basis that seemed not quite right, and I would occasionally toss them out in my circle of friends, and they would sometimes gasp, but I still just thought we weren't a good match. I'm no fool, I assure you, but I stayed because I honestly didn't realize there was actual abuse taking place. Number seven, I've already lost track. I'm tenacious. I ran for vice president of my high school class when I was a freshman, sophomore, and junior in high school. I lost each year and kept going back for more. When my first manuscript was rejected 51 times, I didn't give up. I'm grateful because I finally found a publishing home with my 52nd try, and that turned out to be one of my life's best surprises. But in other words, when the odds are stacked against me, I tend to fight harder for the thing that I think I'm supposed to have. I stayed because an intact marriage was something I was certain I was supposed to have. I stayed because I knew that people were watching my life. There are people in my life, family and friends, who don't believe in or follow Jesus. I know they are watching to see how I handle life's ups and downs. I have readers and audience members who want to believe that what I write and say match how I live my life. I believe in marriage. I believe God wants marriages to stay together. I stayed because I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want to turn people off from God. And I wanted to be the kind of person who does what she says she's going to do. And I stayed because I promised God I would stay. I told myself innumerable times over the years that the only reason I was staying was because I told God I would. I made a promise, a vow. I entered into a covenant, and I don't take that lightly. I wanted to be the kind of person that people counted on, that God could count on. I stayed because God is my authority, the one I will answer to, and the thought of disappointing him broke my heart on a regular basis and it still does. And only God knows the rest. I suppose I could keep going. I suppose there is a reason that I stayed versus left for every day that I was married. I'd pick my daughter up out of her crib and know that I wasn't going anywhere that day. Or I'd sit with a friend in a hard marriage and know that my staying helped her to stay. Or I'd hold the hand of a stranger after a speaking engagement and pray that she would have the strength to stay and do the hard right thing. Or I'd watch my son be taught how to throw a baseball by his dad and realize he wouldn't have this memory if I hadn't stayed. I stayed for a thousand reasons that I know of and a thousand reasons I can't even see. But bottom line, I stayed as long as I did because of God. I will answer the next two questions in next week's episode, and I will post a link in the show notes for where you can find a divorce care group, as well as a therapist, as well as a link to my Marriage Methods and Heartbreak to Hope courses if you want to go deeper with all of this. And if you have any questions you'd like me to tackle on this topic or any topic, you can message me through the podcast. And as always, you can share this episode. You can subscribe to it, rate it, review it, support it, all of which would mean so much to me. So sweet ones, all that to say. In the middle of your marriage pain or divorce pain 
or wherever you find yourself in your life right now. You are the unconditionally beloved daughter of God, and he is so delighted with you. You came into this world and you start each day already completely loved with no other loves to beg for and nothing to prove to anyone. Till next time, so, so much love.